Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Bar Cart Podcast. I am your host, Modern Bar Cart CEO, Eric Koslick. You know, I was thinking recently that I really hate the feeling when some occasion springs up where cocktails need to be served and I've got absolutely no fresh ideas. So I have to start from scratch, do a bunch of online research and cobble together something from the ground up, which is a lot of work. Well, Halloween is quickly approaching, and this is a time when many of us in the modern bar cart community will be called upon to create a cocktail, whether it's for your own party or for one that you're attending as a guest. So what I thought we'd do is put together a bit of a Halloween Pinterest board here on the podcast, as well as on the show notes page for this episode, so you've got a bunch of spooky cocktail ideas to help you get started. Now, I couldn't do this alone. Admittedly, Halloween ain't my thing, but before I introduce this episode's guest, I think this would be an excellent time for you to make yourself a drink. During this episode, we cover a bunch of cocktails. We're talking double digits, so we didn't have time to go through every recipe ingredient by ingredient, but I did want to make sure that we cover at least one classic for you to add to your cocktail repertoire. As such, this week's featured cocktail is the Widow's Kiss. To make this classic drink, you'll need the following ingredients. One and a half ounces of apple brandy, three quarters of an ounce of Benedictine, three quarters of an ounce of yellow chartreuse, and several dashes of aromatic bitters we like to use our embitterment aromatic bitters. And you'll notice that this is a boozy cocktail with no citrus. So to mix it up, you'll need to combine all ingredients in a mixing glass with ice, stir until well chilled, and then strain into a coupe glass. Garnish recommendations do vary for the Widow's Kiss, but I usually like to go with an expressed lemon twist to add a bit of levity to this intense dark drink. A couple notes on the liquid ingredients here. When possible, use Calvados as your apple brandy. It's light but sophisticated and it's definitely going to yield a much more pleasant cocktail than something like an Apple Jack. Also, Benedictine and Yellow Chartreuse are expensive bottles, but they last a long time. So if you're wondering if you should break down and actually make these purchases, at least take comfort that they have a lot of great applications and that a little usually goes a long way. We do give a nice shout out to the Widow's Kiss later in the episode, so be sure to stay tuned and keep your ears open for that. Getting back to our Halloween cocktail inspiration episode, it's time to introduce our guest for this week, my amazing wife, Carolyn Koslick. She's a Halloween fanatic and she aggressively critiques spooky decorations around DC, but she's always surprising and impressing me with her crafty ideas for delicious food and cocktail projects, so I knew that she would be the perfect guest for this episode. Some of the topics Carolyn and I discuss include fall-themed ingredients for your autumnal cocktail pursuits, 
service methods, and creative garnishes for Halloween cocktail parties of all sorts, including how to make an eyeball out of a lychee, which ingredients to use if you want to create ghoulish colors in your drinks, and perhaps more importantly, which ingredients to avoid. A whole list of classic cocktails with spooky names and one creepily recurring ingredient, and much, much more. Quickly, I do want to offer an apology for a mistake I make during this episode when I confuse two cocktails, the Swamp Water Cocktail and the Chartreuse Swizzle. These drinks have the exact same ingredients, just in different proportions. So later in the episode, when you hear me mention the chartreuse swizzle offhand, I'm actually referring to the swamp water cocktail. So apologies for any confusion on that front. Also, this is a slightly new episode format for us. So please hit us up via email or on social media and let us know how you like it. And of course, please tag us in all your awesome Halloween cocktail posts. But for now, All you need to do is enjoy this creepy cocktail conversation with my wife, Carolyn Koslick. Hi, my name is Carolyn Koslick, and I am Eric Koslick's wife, as well as an avid Halloween celebrator. I asked to come on to the show because... As much as Eric is into classy cocktails, I really like how people get incredibly creative during the Halloween time, including when it gets a little bit cheesy. So I wanted to introduce him to some of the things I came across and would like to try in terms of Halloween cocktails this season. Yes. Is Halloween your favorite holiday? Hands down. Why? I love just binging on foodie magazines and I find that the Halloween ones just go above and beyond of people really stretching the limits whereas the traditional summer holidays with the patriotic flair or the more religious winter holidays they fall into the same type of iconography uh what am I thinking of iconography iconography whereas Halloween there's just very few limits or boundaries with it and people get weird about it and sometimes they can do some really crazy do-it-yourself projects and then other times there's cop-outs and I found a lot of that with the cocktails. You also find it with the houses that we walk by. That's true. Which is kind of messed up. (laughs) I do have very high standards when it comes to Halloween decorations. Yeah. Halloween is not my favorite holiday and... I thought what would be fun and interesting for our listeners here is to kind of give a little back and forth, a little Laurel and Hardy, a little Penn and Teller, and just look at some of the fun, crafty cocktail ideas that you've come across in in your fanciful research on these various blogs and magazines. And then when... Ever there's an opportunity, I'm going to jump in with some more traditional or classic things that you can do that may be a little bit more technically challenging, uh, but it's sort of like I'm going to do the classic side of things and you're going to kind of do the, the crafty side of things. And hopefully, as we go through these various categories that we have, people will at least find one or two things 
that they can do this Halloween? Because I know a lot of our listeners out there are probably going to be either hosting or attending these parties. And if you're a listener, a longtime listener, you probably had quite a bit of time to introduce your friends to the fact that you are a budding cocktail person. And so there might be the expectation that you either furnish a drink when you come to the party or that maybe you're the host of the party. So we're going to try and give you at least a couple of ideas that you can glean from our research. So do you want to get started with our first category? Seasonal ingredients. Yeah. We mock it, right? When things start getting cold, the pumpkin spice lattes come out and the gingerbread and all these warm kind of wintry and cool weather things start getting really popular again. And and it's easy to criticize, but there are a lot of really satisfying things to be made with these kind of colder weather ingredients. And although I am not a huge fan of all things fall related, uh, I, I really do enjoy a good cider. And I think it's really appropriate because it's a symbol of the harvest and the bounty of the year, which is one of the the great things about autumn. And so I'd like a good stone fence cocktail. And one thing I should add here is that we're not gonna go over all these recipes because we're gonna be listing a lot of different cocktails, but we are going to go through on the show notes page and put links to all of these things. So if we list a recipe and we kind of give you a rundown of the ingredients and they sound delicious to you, Head on over to modernbarcart.com forward slash podcast and search for this episode. And there you will find a repository of all of the various recipes. But getting back to cider, one of the cocktails that I think does a really good job of both kind of giving you good bang for your buck in terms of ABV and celebrating that fall ingredient is the Stone Fence Cocktail. And this is a traditional kind of New England-y cocktail. Rum was traditionally one of the the big spirits consumed in New England on the Eastern seaboard here. And so this is a cocktail usually served in a long glass. So it's a kind of a long drink or a highball cocktail. And it involves apple cider and rum. And so I think that is a, a great kind of transition cocktail if you uh, want to take advantage of, of ciders. And one thing I will say about ciders is that it pays to know your potential ingredients because there are many different styles of ciders. There are some that are on the drier side, meaning that they have less residual sugar. And then there are some on the sweeter side. And the same kind of goes for rums. So the Stone Fence cocktail, even though it is a fairly simple formulation, gives you a lot of opportunity to pick two ingredients that you really like and then show your guests how they shine together. Uh, the nice thing about it being simple is that you can sort of make it up as a as a punch and have people serve it themselves, or you can have a make your own station fairly easily since there's not too many components and not many steps in it, so there's less to mess up. So head on over to the show notes page, check out the recipe for the stone fence if that sounds good to you. And now I will cede the floor to Carolyn, who will talk about her seasonal ingredients. So at first I was incredibly tempted to go with candy corn because that's the obvious choice. But I was deeply disappointed by how people use candy corn in cocktails. You have the jello shots where 
they replicate the different colors of the candy corn or one recipe I found where it has uh, whipped cream, vodka, and grenadine, and pineapple juice, and then they essentially just toss candy corn on top. Mm. But one seasonal ingredient, so I had to get away from the candy corn, was pumpkin. You know, pumpkin spice lattes that Eric just mocked. But with the pumpkin, uh, a great use of that is to actually carve it out and use that as your punch bowl. So Eric was just talking about the stone fence cocktail. You could carve out the pumpkin and, you know, clean it well so that way it doesn't start to contaminate with uh, more of that seedy uh, residual taste and use that as your serving vessel. And in contrast to the pumpkin serving bowl, in my research, I also encountered more of Another punch that was, you know, a very well-balanced punch. It was dark red, so, you know, like, haha, blood. And for the extra Halloween gesture, they just put in little floating vampire teeth. And so to me, that's when you start to cross the line between it's a great punch, just leave it at that. Don't add the floating vampire teeth. Maybe instead do a more natural seasonal ingredient like carving out a pumpkin. And these were like the plastic ones that they give kids to stick in their mouths. Yes. And there's definitely a time and place for them, but just maybe not in your punch bowl. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So yeah, if you're a DIY person, if you're crafty, if you have the time to hollow out a pumpkin and and carve all that out, then, um, you know, the nice thing is that as long as you're careful and you don't crack it, you you can pretty reliably count on it as an effective punch bowl. It's not going to at some point kind of degrade or get leaky on you. So, so I definitely support that, but, um, be careful to put in something that's robust enough that it's not going to get affected by like the, essentially like the, the skin of the pumpkin, make it something where that is not going to affect it too much. But yeah, I think that's a, a pretty decent crafty idea. So, so well done, Carolyn. Next, we're going to talk about a topic that gets a little bit tricky. But for Halloween, this is kind of something we have to cover because it's part of the festivities of the holiday. And that topic is color. Traditionally, cocktails have a limited color spectrum, right? If you're using a brown spirit, it's going to be a brownish cocktail. If you're using a clear spirit with citrus, it's going to be kind of cloudy. And there's, there's not a whole lot of variation in color unless you get into very specific ingredients. So we're going to hit a few of those here. Carolyn, do you want to kick us off? I would love to. So I did find one cocktail recipe that I would love to try. And I know that if I told you I was going to make it, you'd be a little repulsed because it uses blue curacao and sour mix. But I figured you would be able to revamp it to help me in a way that I could actually make a classy cocktail of it. So it's called the Boneyard from Party City. And it's basically gin, light rum, silver tequila, vodka, blue curacao, which is the trouble ingredient. And another trouble ingredient is the sour mix. And essentially you just shake shake it and strain into a glass and top off with some sparkling seltzer if you want. And because of that blue eerie color, you can jazz it up with little, you know, like skeleton cocktail picks or just the the really obnoxious little cocktail picks for the holiday season. And it's really that blue color that shines to make it that spooky, spooky color. So Eric, any help? Yeah, uh, I think the more troubling thing than the blue curacao is the fact that that's like a Long Island iced tea, but worse. So you're just going to get your guests incredibly messed up. But you're forgetting the fact that Long Island iced teas are incredibly popular. So just stick with it. Just stick with it. Just stick with it and take people's car keys. 
Blue is an interesting color. It's very difficult to achieve in the cocktail space. There's been one kind of trending ingredient called butterfly pea flower, and it's essentially, it is exactly what it sounds like. It's a flower and it grows in Southeast Asia and people pick it, they dry it, and it can be used to infuse water or other liquids with a pretty, pretty accurate blue color. It's, it's not like super vibrant because it's natural. It's maybe a shade closer to indigo, but uh, one cool thing about butterfly pea flower is that it's fairly readily available. You can get it on Amazon and it has a, a nifty little side effect. And if you go to the Battle of the Bartenders episode, a couple episodes ago, you'll hear one of the bartenders that we interviewed speak about how he uses butterfly pea flower in addition to lime juice to let people who are enjoying a cocktail using that ingredient experience the color changing effects on their own. So if you add an acid, so here lemon juice or lime juice to the cocktail, you could probably also pull it off with the use of citric acid, but it's, that's a little bit more technical. But if you add lemon juice or lime juice to it, it transitions from that nice blue color to something that's more of a, a pink or a magenta. So a cool little color changing property. Obviously Halloween, we have these images of witches and potions. And so it's kind of unique, I think, to have the opportunity to use a natural ingredient like butterfly pea flower to kind of do a little bit of magic of your own. Uh, so there's any number of ways that you can use that. Just a quick note, blue curacao is actually just dyed blue using food coloring. So if you, if you do have an opportunity to use curacao in a cocktail, if you're new to the podcast and if you don't have a, a huge lexicon of spirits and ingredients at your fingertips, just know that going with a, a clear curacao is actually just gonna taste better, uh, it's gonna have less additives, and, and it's definitely, when you see that word curacao in a classic cocktail recipe, that's certainly what it's calling for. So what else do we have on our list in terms well, of colors? Well, next up is activated charcoal. I found a couple recipes that uses activated charcoal for that deep, deep black color. Again, that spooky vibe. And I just have no idea how to use activated charcoal. And the fact that it has charcoal in the name kind of freaks me out. It kind of sounds a little toxic, but I've seen it in enough recipes that I figured you had a tidbit to yeah, help I, me out with. I've got a tidbit, not much more than a tidbit. Activated charcoal is an ingredient that is commonly used to, yes, color a cocktail black, but its function is to strip out things. Uh, so it strips out things like flavor, it strips out- Just what we want in our cocktail. Right, uh, and, and so activated charcoal is an ingredient that certainly best left to professionals and there's a lot of information out there where we're, we're actually planning on doing an entire episode on activated charcoal so stay tuned for, for that but just remember that it's something that although it looks cool is something that you probably shouldn't just plan to wing it uh, because chances are whatever you think that cocktail is going to taste like when you put in the activated charcoal it's going to look real cool but it might not taste real cool 
Mm, okay, that does show the fact that I did not actually try making the activated charcoal car- uh, cocktails. But one workaround I did come across is using black currant juice, which it gives the same effect. It just is a little less sketchy. Sure. Might be difficult to find, but if you've got one of those fancy, uh, you know, organic food stores, then you might be in luck. Next up on our list is the color green. And this is actually surprisingly a place where you have a couple different options. So Carolyn, why don't you tell us a little bit about Midori? So Midori is a bright yellow melon liqueur. And I was so excited to try it. We first tried it when we were going out to a Thai restaurant together. And I just saw somebody with this bright yellow drink. And I just pointed to it and said, like, I would really like that. And it Oh, there are just so few drinks I am unable to finish. And this one was one of them. It was just sickeningly sweet. It tasted really artificial, but it had a really, really great color that would lend itself to Halloween. Was it yellow? I thought it was green. It might have been a might have been a light sort of green. chartreuse yellow green then. Mm. Uh, speaking of chartreuse, this is an ingredient that I really enjoy. It's certainly going to be a lot more expensive than... Midori. Midori is one of those bottom shelf, or I guess you could call it like a middle shelf, depending on how much it actually costs. But it's it's going to be one of those overly sweet kind of cloying mixers that you can pick up at the liquor store for not a whole ton of money. Now, green chartreuse is also a liqueur. It is also green. And it also comes in yellow. It also comes in yellow. The two flavors are very, very different though. So certainly don't swap out green for yellow in a recipe and think it's automatically gonna work. But the cool thing about green chartreuse is that at Tales the Cocktail in 2017, I came across a really cool cocktail that is made using green chartreuse and has kind of a creepy Halloween name. And that is the Swamp Water Cocktail. And I remember at the seminar we were taking on chartreuse, they actually had uh, some old ads from, I believe it was a, a New Orleans cocktail, uh, and they had these these ads from New Orleans when the drink was popular in the mid-20th century, and it was sort of like, bring your date and drink the, drink the swamp water cocktail if you dare. And basically, its components are green chartreuse, pineapple juice, and lime. So... It's kind of in this weird place between a highball and a chartreuse tiki drink, but uh, I would recommend that you also add a decent amount of sparkling water to that because the four ounces of pineapple juice that it calls for in the recipe lends itself to a really sweet cocktail. So I'd say if you wanna make a swamp water cocktail, it's gonna have that cool green color from the chartreuse and the lime, but you're definitely gonna to want to try and make it first before you have to do it on call at a party or batch it so that you understand the level of sweetness that you think that you and your guests will enjoy. So the Swamp Water Cocktail using Chartreuse is also a really good green cocktail. And I will add that even though it's it's an ingredient that's maybe a little bit less popular these days, absinthe is also green. and We'll return to absinthe as a interesting, spooky ingredient at the end of the show when I go through a couple of uh, classic cocktails that, that might be really good. But just keep absinthe in the back of your mind as, as a cool green-colored cocktail ingredient. All right.
right, last up for colors is using the different weights of liquid. And this one, I was able to find a classy cocktail drink all by myself. What do you mean using the different weights of liquid? The dark and stormy. So when you actually get to see the different color um, levels. Oh, so you're making like gradations of yeah. color in the cocktail. Yeah, so like back like... in science class. Yeah. Okay, okay. So the cocktail I found with this, it's not all that original, but I did find it. The dark and stormy. So it's essentially... <laughs> Don't laugh. It was, um, it was a dark and stormy note. <laughs> yeah, it also does have a great Halloween name, but... Yeah, basically it's just your uh, quintessential dark and stormy, but you don't mix it like you normally would. And because of the different weights of the liquid, you get that really eerie separation. So I think most of the time when you see that in pictures, it's that they added the dark rum to the kind of like blondish ginger beer, right? Usually it's the dark that's sitting on the top. Mm -hmm. And the reason why that's happening is because the alcohol definitely floats above the water, right? So it makes sense that the ingredient that has the most amount of water in it is going to be the ginger beer because there's no alcohol in that. And so if you pour a shot of a dark rum on top of that, there's going to be like this nice separation and it's not going to really, it's going to gradually mix as you drink it, but the rum's all going to be on top. So if you're looking for a really well balanced cocktail drink, just, just keep that little factor. Are you in saying mind. the cocktail I found is not a functional cocktail? It just is there for cool effect, which um, also has its place. I'm just saying that if I were to receive that, I would stir it so that I didn't get a shot of rum. And then ruin the effect. Okay, so there. we might just have to scratch that one. Yeah. Well, no, no I'm not I'm not saying scratch it, but I warn I like, people that they're about to get a whole shot of rum just on the top. I, I like the use of the different weights of, of liquids uh, for how it can visually look. But I'm just saying, like if you're if you if you want to pull off that effect, for example. Let's say you wanted to, you know, rock out with that butterfly pea flower and you wanted to make it into a syrup, which is going to be kind of like a heavier thing that might be more on the bottom of a drink, right? Just keep in mind how that's going to act and think about the almost like the use case for the cocktail. Like how is the guest at this party going to receive the cocktail? Are they going to know that they're going to need to <laughs> Well, they know to stir it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, because these are the things like that, we know the, the performance aspect of it and the kind of like interesting visual of it is great, but not everybody knows as much about cocktails as you do if you're listening to this podcast. So just make sure that there's an easy way for them to check out the cool thing you made and then do the little move that's going to make it actually palatable. That's, that's all I'm saying. If you're going to use that gradation of the different weights of liquids, then just keep that in mind that it might not be obvious to uh, all of your party guests how to, how to actually make it tasty. Ready to move on to our next segment? I'm so set. So the next section is with garnishes. And this one, I think, has a lot of potential to really wow your guests in a creative do-it-yourself way without taking really cheesy cop-outs that you can just get at the dollar store. So a big trend in my research was eyeballs. 
So they were cute names like eyeballs in your highballs, all that cute stuff. And there were there was a whole spectrum in terms of how involved people wanted to get. So the first one I encountered was just the gummy eyeball version, which they just speared onto a cocktail spe- uh, skewer. And it was just essentially a normal cocktail, but with a gummy eyeball and a cocktail skewer. But people get pretty intense about this. The next one is actually with a lychee, which is, uh, how would you describe it, Eric? It's like a, a sweet, succulent fruit. It's it's kind of like a grape, like if you peeled a grape. Yeah, is, is, it, a, is it technically like a nut? Or a like a succulent of some sort. It's it's definitely a weird type of fruit berry type thing. It's it's Chinese, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So okay, for this purpose, just imagine a peeled grape, which actually you probably could use. Um, but it's a very large peeled grape, and people would put a berry, like a blueberry, in the middle of it, and then use a cocktail skewer to steady the two. And then use red preserves like strawberry jam to just kind of coat around the outside of the blueberry for the the blood veins of your eyeballs. And it was the neatest effect in cocktails. So you can also skewer that eyeball. It's a much more stunning than the gummy eyeball. But if that doesn't float your boat, if you have no idea what lychee is and you don't feel like finding out what it is, uh, another alternative are the ice cube ice. Uh, eyeballs, in which case you would fill an ice cube tray with water and then put uh, some type of berry, like a blueberry, raspberry in the center. And if you really want to get crafty, you could add a little bit of food dye and use a toothpick to kind of accentuate the area around the berry and then just freeze it. And it creates a very eerie eyeball effect without the use of dollar store gummies. There you go. I really like the lychee option. Uh, One thing I will say about lychee is that it's a very atypical cocktail ingredient, but it's, it's very delicious. It's not a flavor that people expect. And to have that as a little edible accent on your cocktail is really good. It's just, it's a solid move. It's not artificial. And I am always in favor of garnishes that you can eat because there's no waste there, and there's just a. It, it helps you interact with your cocktail on an additional plane, and I, I just appreciate that, especially if it's a such a simple version of it, like the like the the lychee. To be fair, though, there is a time and place for really cheesy gummy little cocktail additives. I just think that people need to go the extra step of not just making a normal cocktail and then just tacking on a gummy eyeball. Like I found this other recipe where they made a very well-balanced cocktail where it was fruity red wine and they had rye whiskey and a couple dashes of bitters and then it was in this beautiful coupe glass and then they just stuck a peep marshmallow ghost on the rim and it just ruined it. Uh, It didn't enhance it and didn't further it. It just cheapened it in a way. Whereas if they had had a lychee eyeball whole different story. Mm, Very true. Very true. I also have a garnish approach that's, that's fairly easy to do. And it also has the advantage of being really easy to manage at parties. So if you're planning on having a large group here, and especially if you're looking at doing more assemble your own cocktail stations, this might be something that interests you. One of the really popular DIY 
cocktail garnish activities is dehydrated citrus wheels. And if you choose something like a blood orange that has you know really beautiful orange and red coloration to it, you're kind of hearkening to that fall color palette with the changing of the leaves here in the temperate regions of the world. And you're also doing something that doesn't require any sort of further prep, any refrigeration, right? If you're trying to do fresh citrus peel garnishes or other types of garnishes, there's assembly required. But the nice thing about dehydrated citrus is that it looks good, it's really easy to do, and you can just stick it in a bowl next to your cocktail station. And if you're assembling the cocktails, it's right there. You just put one on each drink you make. And if it's a DIY station, it's pretty self-explanatory. Just put a little set of tongs right next to the citrus bowl, and people will understand that they should put a little citrus wheel in their drink. And the last thing I'll mention is that it isn't super creepy like an eyeball, but the shriveled appearance of the citrus is just... That's a stretch. It's not cheesy no. Halloween, but it is classy. It's spooky it's, and classy. I think it's slightly sinister. Although, to backtrack a bit, when you say people put it in their drink, I'm unfamiliar with dehydrated fruit. So to me, it would involve almost slicing it like you normally would with a citrus wheel. Or do you mean literally grabbing the thing and plopping it all into your drink? So when you dehydrate them, you you do it in the same way. You do it in your, your oven on low and it just very lightly bakes these things so that all the water evaporates. And what you, what you end up with is usually just a bunch of little wheels and it all depends on kind of what kind of glassware you're using so it's not like you're gonna like crack this thing open and try and jam it onto the rim of a glass so it's not malleable enough to actually function like a normal citrus wheel it would be placed in the drink no it's kind of like crispy like a chip it's almost like if you've ever had those little apple chips that they mm -hmm. sell at health food stores it's kind of like that consistency but the nice thing is that it floats and it's very light, so you can just put it on top of any drink and it's going to stay there. It's not going to like get lost in the drink. It's it's a cool little novelty to have. Like if you were doing a pumpkin carved punch? I'm not a supporter of the pumpkin bowl. I'll just okay. put it out there. Okay. Wow. But hey, that's just You me. also don't like Halloween though, so I don't really know how valid your opinion is. I don't. I don't like Halloween. So we're just, we'll, we'll move on. Um, if you're hosting a party that is maybe a little bit more intimate and you have the resources to put together some more formal cocktails that don't involve batching, that don't involve, you know, a punch bowl style service. I wanted to just throw out a few options that come pre-packaged with somewhat sinister slash creepy names. And again, we'll list all these on the website with links to recipes uh, so we're not going to actually give you the ratios here, but I'll, I'll give you a rundown of some of the main ingredients. So think about something like a death in the afternoon, which is a famous cocktail where absinthe gets put into a sparkling wine. So like a traditionally it's, it's a small amount of absinthe dropped into a flute of champagne. And the cool thing about this cocktail is it when you, when you do that to absinthe, when you put absinthe in a, a cold liquid, it, it gets a little bit milky and weird. So if you're the sort of person who just thinks that having a classy party with champagne flutes is just about the greatest thing ever, this is a perfect way for you to take one ingredient and 
just give that subtle classy creep factor because it's gonna it's just gonna make the traditional flute of champagne just slightly uncanny just slightly off and it tastes great and it's it's just probably this is probably like the simplest like classy thing that you can do if you're having like what you would consider to be a classy halloween party if you want to get crazy with it too you could even get a little atomizer for your absinthe which is essentially a spray bottle that you spritz over the champagne it's true it's true uh, but unfortunately, if you only do a few little spritzes, it doesn't get that weird little milky texture to it. Doesn't Ugh, get, well doesn't then scratch cloud it. Up. I'll just stick with my little dollar store vampire teeth. It's true. Uh, another similar cocktail that I didn't have prepared, but that kind of follows along that same motif is a Kier or a Kier Royale. And this is a really cool cocktail. It's actually a, a beautiful color. It's where you take creme de cassis, which is admittedly a, a bit of a difficult product to get your hands on. It's a black currant liqueur. And you take this kind of purple, dark purpley liqueur and you pour it into a glass of white wine. That would be the Kier. And the Kier Royale would just be the sparkling version of that. So that is another classic cocktail, you know, kind of going back to those cool colors that we were talking about earlier. That's another cocktail that would fall into that category. So we'll, we'll add that to the list. The next classic cocktail that I'll bring up here is one called the Widow's Kiss. And this is a French style cocktail. It's made using Calvados, which is an apple brandy. So another one of those cool fall ingredients honoring the harvest. I love Calvados. If you haven't tried Calvados, I highly recommend it. So it's Calvados, which is the, the main base spirit. Then you've got two liqueurs. You've got Benedictine, which is uh, a lot of different spices and herbs. And then you've got yellow chartreuse, which is kind of a honeyed, it's a grape-based liqueur with, with almost like a honeyed saffron uh, profile. And the Widow's Kiss is good. It's gonna be a little bit on the pricier side because you're using pretty much all imported ingredients. And it's also gonna be a little bit on the sweeter side. So if you're in a situation where you're like, man, I like my nice dry cocktails, but I want to have a sweeter option for people, then the Widow's Kiss might be something uh, that can fill that role. Next up, we've got the Corpse Reviver, which is a New Orleans cocktail. And again, here we see the appearance of absinthe. So this, this is a drink that has gin, dry curacao, so regular, just the regular orange liqueur, and absinthe and lemon juice and it this is a really great cocktail a lot of people are really happy with it even the first time they try it even though there's absinthe and that's kind of a controversial ingredient and my favorite thing to do with the corpse survivor is to turn it into a highball by just making the cocktail and then adding four to six ounces of sparkling water and turning it into a Corpse Reviver spritz. I happen to think it's super refreshing. So if you are doing a cocktail Halloween party in one of the warmer areas of the world, then that might be a great way for you to have a creepy name drink, make a classic cocktail, but also keep it super, super refreshing. Then we've got, of course, the zombie, which is a classic tiki drink involving multiple different types of rum and juices. So we'll list the recipe on the show notes page, but this would be your obvious choice if you're doing a tiki themed Halloween party. And I just think that that would be like a fantastic mashup. 
Yeah, no, I think it would. No, I, I would love. I, I think I would you're like... just trying to get away from Halloween, but yeah, if you did a tiki themed Halloween, I'm sure that would be great. All right, listen. So you know how on Halloween everybody is the sexy this or the sexy that. It's true. You're trying to uh, what level if everyone playing the field? What if everyone was just the tiki this or the That's tiki true. that? That's true. It's true. You know, I'm tiki Mike Tyson or um tiki Kesha. I don't know. I think that's it could a work. stretch. That's a stretch. But it's a good cocktail, though. You, it, even if they don't fully take your advice. I don't know. I think I think going from the sexy thing to the tiki thing would be a really healthy move for Halloween culture, personally. Uh, and then finally, we've got a drink that it's maybe not creepy. It's not like a creepy name, but it's a weird name, and it like it makes people stop and check. And just be like, what's going on here? It's called the monkey gland. And to me, I feel like gland of monkey would be something going into the witch's brew. Or maybe the witch doctor's brew. Was it love, was it love potion number nine? Yes. I can't uh, believe you are about to botch that. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, so the monkey gland is a cocktail made using gin, orange juice, grenadine, and... Any guesses? Monkey gland? No, absinthe. Oh. Okay. okay. Uh, so this is, again, another one of those like quasi tiki cocktails that's kind of hanging out in the same territory of the chartreuse swizzle. It's not quite tiki, but it's, it's definitely moving in that direction. So I think in these classic cocktails, going from the death in the afternoon, the widow's kiss, the corpse survivor, the zombie, and the monkey gland, what we have is... A lot of great options, some of which are refreshing, some of which are a little bit on the boozier, sweeter side. You've also got the stone fence that I mentioned earlier and the chartreuse swizzle. So there's certainly plenty of classic cocktails that you can use when you're trying to create a template for something at a Halloween party. But as we've mentioned with all these other little tips and hacks, there's a lot of things that you can do if you just kind of embody that DIY spirit and do a little bit of experimenting on your own, whether it's with garnishes or the colors that you choose to use. And I think that no matter what kind of cocktail drinker you are, something that we mentioned here in this episode can help you to throw a really banging Halloween party. Carolyn Koslick, any last bits of advice for how to get the most out of your Halloween? Just embrace the weirdness of it and really get creative with what you're putting into your drinks. Hey everybody, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two big things you can do for us here at Modern Bar Cart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. And if they don't download podcasts, they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. And the beauty is, the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start a cocktail revolution here, and by spreading the word, you're helping us fight the good fight. You can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear 
Also, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Bar Cart for cocktail porn, recipes, and entertaining tips. And keep an eye out for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners, and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember, folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. This episode was made possible with haunted editing and production assistance by Samantha Reed, cocktail inspiration by the Crypt Keeper herself, Carolyn Koslick, and a little bit of Halloween magic by the Great Pumpkin and yours truly. This has been a Morbid Bone Coffin production, copyright 2008.